welcome to the Sociology and Animals podcast series. In this program, we speak with folks specializing in the sociological study of animals and society in an effort to document and explore how research in our field is applied in the real lives and careers of sociologists. My name is Dr. Corey Wren. I'm currently chair of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association. But this podcast is coming to you from Canterbury, England, where I have been living since 2019 after accepting a position as lecturer in sociology with the University of Kent. Here in the UK, I am a member of the Animal Human Studies Group of the British Sociological Association, as well as the Vegan Society's Research Advisory Committee. In addition to teaching environmental politics, social movements, and animals and society at the University of Kent, I'm also co-director of the Center for the Study of Social and Political Movements and a member of the psychology department's Shark Lab, which stands for the Study of Human-Animal Relations at Kent. As you can see, I have had the great privilege to develop my career around various facets of animal studies, but it hasn't been easy. Our field is growing, but it is still small and doesn't always elicit support from colleagues, prospective employers, editors and reviewers, grant funders, and so on. My aim with this podcast is to challenge this institutional discrimination and provide some insider insights into making a career out of animal studies. Not that long ago, the idea of a career in animal studies would have seemed impossible, if not outlandish. Today, there are considerably more opportunities, but a lot of mystery and ignorance remains about how to go about pursuing and succeeding in this line of work. Especially with academia being so competitive and prestige-oriented, I think a lot of folks are hesitant to discuss the nuts and bolts of their career making. It is my aim that this podcast will serve as a sort of informal virtual mentorship for folks interested in learning more about the sociological pursuit of animal studies. So without further ado, let's meet today's guest. Hey, 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 what's up, Lordana? Oh, hi, Corey. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. <laughs> Very cool to have the person behind all the amazing <laughs> social media work that's been happening with our section for all these years actually come forth and share a little bit about yourself. So why don't you tell us what makes you the amazing, spectacular being that you are? Oh my God, that's way, that's way too uh, high of a standard. So, uh, well, so again, my name is uh, Loredana Loy. Um, I uh, study sociology. I'm a PhD candidate at uh, Cornell. And um, I've been involved with the section for about 10 years, I think. And I've been doing the newsletter and the Twitter account, uh, coordinated Twitter account and Facebook account. So, yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> Quite a lot. Yeah, you've been in the section as long as I think I have been. Yes, I think so. <laughs> a long time. Um, so why don't you tell us, how did you find your way into animal studies? Because I know that you have um, a very unique pathway to this, this kind of field. Yes. So, um, yes. So my, I think, yeah, I think it's an atypical story. Um, you know, I had, I had an awakening moment while working in the corporate world, uh, back in Europe. So, um, I immigrated to Canada and repurposed my career towards what I considered at the time, um, and still consider to be more meaningful work. So helping animals. And, uh, as I was working for, uh, two groups, I worked for a well-known environmental group, that had some projects protecting few select species of animals from trophy hunting. And then another group, um, which is the largest animal protection group in British Columbia. So while working for them, I realized, um, you know, that uh, I needed to understand how social change happens because we, I wanted to be a better advocate. And I was like, I don't really know how, how this happens. So 
I came across Roger Yates' work. Oh, he's going to be yeah. on next after you. Yeah, so he was the first one. So I, I contacted him and asked him, hey, you know, what are some possible paths for me? You know, I'm an advocate. I want to learn. And he suggested, you know, you know sociology. So I started taking some undergrad courses at UBC. And uh, while doing that, I discovered um, uh, another professor and uh, NYU's Colin Geraldmack, who was to become my mentor. <laughs> so I applied to do an MA at NYU and, uh, and work with him. And I did my thesis under his guidance and, uh, you know, focused on the representation of animal advocacy in film and also on how uh, animal advocates can use film to promote animal related issues. So, yeah, and, and I, I had actually another professor on my committee there who's doing great animal studies work, uh, uh, Carrie Packwood Freeman at Georgia State. So, you know, it kind of came together and also very important to say that that program at NYU was so flexible and the environment was very supportive, you know, of pursuing something that most consider to be marginal, right? Most other places would consider to be marginal, but I had not that experience there. And the committees were, you know, was very supportive and they encouraged me to, to go on doing a PhD. So that's how I ended up at, at uh, Cornell, where I'm here now doing my PhD. But of course, uh, once here I discovered that uh, PhD program is a very different game, and uh, um, you know I I I I do not do now. Uh, my research is not focused on animal studies. I didn't know how to promote or to advocate my ideas as well as I did in my master's program. So I had to compromise, right? And um, I'm doing um, something that still intersects with an the animal issue, which is climate change. Yes, so that's kind of in a, in a nutshell. Oh, and also to mention that, you know, even though I'm not doing the animal, um, my, my dissertation is not on the animal issue, all the methodological tools that I'm, I'm developing are applicable, and um, we'll probably talk about that more a bit later in, yeah. in this interview, right? Yeah, well, before we move on, I wanted to highlight, because um, one of the, thing the themes that's been popping up throughout the podcast is that I wanted to give practical advice to students who really want to study this. And it you really do, I've been, well, we've all been arguing, you have to really sell yourself because a lot of programs don't really recognize animal stuff as valid. However, I think you're really right to highlight the NYU program. And there's also, I think the Michigan program is really conducive to animal studies. So it's something that is on the horizon. And for those who are listening to this, who are really considering doing a degree, degree in this, um, if you're strategic, you might not even have to really compromise as far as your application package. You might actually strive for a particular program that already has a lot of researchers um, creating these programs for people to, to bring students in. So the NYU one, I think, was really cool because we did a joint program with them last summer, August of last summer, right before our own ASA conference. We did a pre-conference at NYU. And it was a huge success, and it really was only possible because the NYU program was so conducive to not just environmental exactly. studies, but animal studies as well. Right. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Like, what are your research interests? So, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this, and I said, I'm going to talk about my research interests that are related to the animal field, of course, which are, you know, my goals of doing, um, you know, the work that I really aim of doing once I'm done with the dissertation. And actually, I'm doing already some of this stuff in parallel. So, basically, you know, uh, my, uh, my work here is um, I take a macro-institutional perspective, right? So, um, with that, I, um, that's very, very applicable to, to the fields that um, I'm interested in related to, to animals. So one of them is 
basically the in intersection of institutions and social movements. So um, we've all noticed, uh, you know, the rise of the plant-based industry, right? So how how that relates to uh, environmentalism and, and animal rights? That that's one of my interests. So I'm very interested in uh, how industries work to keep their fields intact, like uh, labeling efforts. So we probably all know about how they try to prevent plant-based food from being called milk, meat, and so on, right? Or uh, efforts to curtail transparency, such as ag-gag laws. Okay, and then another area that uh, I think is very important is the co connection between animal agriculture and climate change. So uh, things like what will big ag do to protect itself, lobbying efforts, cooperation with universities to adapt their business models to climate change. So, you know, here prob probably people have heard about, you know, projects to reduce methane emission from cows by feeding them seaweed and, you know, mm -hmm. also other, other things that sound insane to us, but that are actually happening, right? Yeah. Uh, right. So, you know, um, so these are just my main interests and I have many others, but I don't know how much time and how much you want me to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So very cool. That, so I like that. We also had Richard York on here on our, our third episode talking about his segue into environmental from environmental issues into animal issues. And so there's definitely a lot of overlap. I mentioned in that episode that a lot of our section members are also section members of the environmental group. So I think this is one of the ways that we can certainly sell. And this is something that you and I've talked about. This is one of the ways that you can really sell what we do as legitimate is by tapping into this um, climate change crisis, because this is something that people really are not going to be able to avoid for much longer. I mean, it, the, I'm, I'm sitting here in Canterbury, England right now, and it's 85 degrees. I mean, it's unheard of. We've had a second heat, heat, heat wave. Uh, this summer so far, and it's only middle of June. So I think that is one thing for folks to think about. Environmental issues are one way to kind of get in through the door. That said, I had Christoph Daunt on here on the previous episode, and he he's currently working on some research around the COVID crisis and about how people are still not willing to recognize how our consumption patterns, specifically our consumption of meat and dairy, is responsible for these types of things. There's this uh, cognitive dissonance about people really wanting to continue to do these harmful behaviors and not wanting to own up to how that relates to climate change, really. So there's a lot to be done in this field. Um, yeah, this area seems to be ignored by the by most prominent social scientists focusing on climate change, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a reality, you know, this connection between animal agriculture and climate change. And they have this, this sustainability rhetoric and this notion of really what I think is just green capitalism where, yeah, we'll just feed cows seaweed and that'll solve yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Right. And, but also, you know, Corey, I was going to mention the, the other thing. I, I, I think there's a challenge for us too, because if, if we try to do this kind of work and we, you know, we, we're very tempted to present it, uh, you know, to, to convey it as a message about climate change, you know, and then, of course, the animal message gets lost, right? It becomes a, yeah. an, a sustainability issue. And yeah. then, the, again, the ethical dimension of the, of the issue gets lost, right? So we're yeah. telling people, you know, give up exploiting animals because, uh, because of climate change. And, uh, you know, um, it's just, it's such a delicate line to that I don't think we have kind of figured out yet how to how to marry those two you know yeah I think the cowspiracy documentary that came out was a wonderful example of this that documentary uh, started off as this very hardcore environmental sort of um, 
claim that he was making about why aren't the environmental groups paying attention to what we eat. And you're right, it's the animals were really objectified, their absent reference. But then towards the middle of the documentary, I turned it off because he went to go see some sustainably killed ducks or whatever, and they showed a duck being killed, and I turned it off. And yeah. it wasn't until uh, last week I rewatched it and skipped past that part and realized that that moment in the film was actually a turning point for him as well. And he realized that these are these are persons. They're not just objects, it's some kind of abstract things yes. on the page. These are actually persons with feelings and interests of their own. And so then he kind of adopted this more vegan approach, which was I thought was a really cool way that the documentary um, absolutely. turned. Yeah. You know? I, absolutely. And you know what? I uh, Actually, when you asked me about research interest, this was number four on my list, you know, the, the issues related to social movements. So environmentalism's refusal to include the animal dimension, right? This is this is an this is a historical thing, right? It's always been uh, kind of they always kind of resisted to include this, you know, this dimension, the animal uh, dimension in in the work, right? Yeah, it's just this part of this. This is a shameful part. It's the part of this longer legacy of sociology, not really pushing the boundaries. I mean, have historical problems with sexism and racism. And other issues. And, and the next thing is we're going to look back 100 years from now. I mean, wow, look at sociology and how really <laughs> yes. how discriminatory that's, that institution was. All right. So sociology obviously is not the cure-all for the world's problems. But it does provide us with a lot of very important tools for doing the work that we do. And what is it about sociology, do you think, that well, like, is there one concept or theory or theorist that you think would be really useful for listeners about thinking out about how sociology can help us. Mm -hmm. So, so well, first of all, I was going to say, you know, I uh, believe that uh, sociology has all these uh, concepts that are applicable to what we do. So, for example, in in my work, like in my my research interests, are all macro. Uh, uh, and political sociology interests, right? So organizations, how organizations, how institutions uh, interact, right? These these are big fields in sociology, right? To industries, animals are just another product, right? Plant-based industry is just another industry. So they all can be, uh, you know, studied and promoted in those fields, right? It's just, it's just another dimension of those fields, in my opinion. And um, also, um, you, you asked about... Um, a sociological concept. So I, I thought about this. Um, I think one um, theo uh, theorist, uh, sociologist that is, um, I'm not sure if, if you've heard of him. Um, I have to go with Bill Domhoff, uh, William Domhoff, actually. He's a professor of sociology at UC Santa Cruz, and uh, he's the author of Who Rules, Who Rules America, which is um, in famous book. You probably heard of it, right? I've read part of that many years ago. Yeah. I used to assign right. so, my students. Right, right. So he, he um, you know, he isn't specifically interested in the animal question, but he is very much interested in the issue of social change and power structures and mm -hmm. specifically corp corporate power, right, and, and has followed uh, closely how big, uh, big ag operates, right? And his most famous concept is the poli policy, what he calls the policy planning network, and he argues, you know, that... Uh, um, there's this network of uh, institutions, you know, that protect themselves, that, you know, that, ha that have access to policy and all that stuff. So I think this is a very relevant concept to those who want to understand the lasting power and influence of, you know, entities like um, the animal exploitation industry, what we call the meat industry and the dairy industries and how they manage to just, you know, stay on top, right? Yeah, that is a good choice. I like that one. Mm. <laughs> all right. So he's been around for a while. 
And I yeah. guess so if I was teaching him back when I did intro social, I remember um, putting his in there. But what about recent developments? What's going on right now in your neck of the woods that you find really interesting sociologically as far as animal studies? So I think we kind of already touched on it. So I think uh, I, I, uh, the focus on the connection between the meat and dairy industries and climate change, right? That's for me, like that's one of the most important things that finally, finally is coming up, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I've seen uh, more and more, um, I mean, you know, there's still like a handful of them, but there are people who are already touching on this in their work. And, you know, we featured them on our social media. So I'm, I'm just going to mention their names quickly. One is Dinesh Badivel. He's at the Sydney, Institute, uh, Sydney Environmental Institute. Um, another one is Nicholas Carter. He and he's he's really focused on on, you know, on this connection and on bringing out bringing out the dimensions of uh, the animal industry in, in and its role in climate change. So again, we, we said this before, but I think it's very important that that people focus on this and more and more people try to push on um, other social scientists who are focusing on 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 the other you know other factors of uh, climate change and they're ignoring this big one, right? This is such a big one to ignore. So yeah, that 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 would be still my my um, most exciting thing discovery, seeing people coming up and working on this area. You know, Dinesh has also done work on animal nationalism, which to me yes, is, like really, really. When I learned about that that kind of new topic, it's I guess it's part of the larger kind of colonial post colonial turn in animal studies that really, really fascinates me and has been a major part of my own work. But these other mm -hmm. folks, yeah, that's. These are good. Doing yes, good you know, good stuff it, out here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And you know, the nationalism, it was again, this is one of the other things like that's absolutely amazing um, and so interesting. And there, there have been some new developments in that area too. I mean, not uh, in sense of research, but things that could be studied, you know, like India's Modi. Um, mm. you know, turn to, to use the, you know, use the, the um, you know, the, the myth, the cow myth towards, uh, you know, Hindu nationalism and all mm -hmm. uh, things like that, right? Yeah, so if yeah. anyone's listening to this, and they, I mean, I say this every episode when I ask folks what's exciting you right now, and and everyone is saying, like, this is this is on the frontier, like, these topics are on the frontier. And so what that means is there are plenty of opportunities for students, for early career, early career researchers to kind of find a spot and find a place your voice can be heard and do some new novel research. The cool thing about us being a smaller discipline, a growing discipline, is that there's lots of opportunities for folks to come in and make their mark and be of, of service to the animals. All right, so that said... What advice would you have for folks who are interested in pursuing our field? So, um, you know, I think the answer to this depends very much on who you are, what your backstory is, and what your focus and goals are. So if you're a woman and an immigrant without much cultural capital like I was when I entered this field, you know, things are going to be a bit more difficult to navigate, I think. So the most important thing that one can do is to reach out to others who, whose work they find inspiring. You know, create a little support network. Honestly, this is what I've done. And I, I find that it's it's so important, you know, just create create a group of people who, 
with whom you speak the same language. If, and they don't even have to be at your institution if you can't find them, right? Right. So, so um, yeah, so I've done that. And I think that's really the most important thing. Also be part of groups like ours, like be part of our section, right? Um, and come to all the meetings and, and meet people. And it's, it's um, I would like to mention that huge conference. I don't know, Corey, if you ever went to it, the uh, animal uh, minding animals conference, which of course is not purely an animal rights uh, conference, but it just has so so many different uh, um, researchers from different fields coming uh, fields coming together, and it, it it was just such an opportunity for me to meet a lot of people. So I'm just gonna give a shout out to that um, organization as well. No, I have not, because they always go to places that are far away from me, but <laughs> yeah, Mexico, so, so, Mexico City was the last one. Yeah, I didn't go to that one, but I went to the one in Utrecht, like um, in 2012, I think, and um, it was just incredible. And I, 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 I kept, that's where I met Dinesh and John Sanborn Matsu and like a lot, a lot of people with whom I kept in touch, you know. And so, you know, it was, it was an incredible experience. Very good point that you made, because... Other folks throughout these podcasts, I mean, now it should be very crystal clear to folks who have been listening to every episode. If you want to succeed, you're going to have to take some initiative and reach out to folks. And I think for me, I don't feel like I really thrived when I was getting my master's degree at Virginia Tech. I just kind of, I was so shy. I was so introverted. And I was doing environmental justice stuff, but I was, my heart wasn't in it like it was animal stuff. I was doing a lot of animal activism. I didn't know that animal studies was a thing in sociology. So mm -hmm. I wasn't doing any networking. I was just kind of hanging out with my friends from back home. I wasn't really. But then when I went to get my Ph.D. at Colorado State, I realized that you've got to play the game in order to succeed. If you want to make a career out of it, you can't just sit back and let things hope. Hopefully things will happen. They're not going to. So you have to make that initiative. So what I've been arguing and what other guests have been arguing throughout the podcast is that you need to do these conferences. Maybe you need to create a collective in your own university. But what you've just pointed out is so important as well, and it's not really come up yet. Going to these maybe non-academic, activist-oriented conferences where you have a blend of folks who are um, activists without degrees, you have activists with degrees, and you have um, academics who are activists. And so you have this wonderful blend of, um, of people who are ready to network and ready to share their work and have you be a part of that and to, and to promote you. And there's a lot of people in that community, the critical animal studies community, who are extremely supportive of up-and-coming scholars. And those kinds, like Minding Animals, um, there's the critical animal studies conferences that happen and then in North America and Oceania. There's one in mm -hmm. Europe. And I went to one in Barcelona last year. and It was just an amazing experience. I mean, all the who's who go to these. And it's outside of that kind of stuffy, no, no offense to the ASA, but the ASA is extremely expensive and it can be very intimidating and it can be quite stuffy at times, um, all the time, let's be honest. But if you go to these <laughs> critical animal studies conferences, you have people who are there because they're passionate about what you are passionate about. There's vegan food and people are there to lift one another up and to give each other opportunities to present their work and to meet other folks. So that actually, Lordana, is an amazing piece of advice. If, if you're going to go to any conference you know, be strategic, go to a conference, go to the ASA when you can, if you can, when you can afford to do so, to get that on your CV. But if for networking purposes, it might not look as prestigious on your CV, but go to these critical animal studies places. And those are the places you're going to meet people who are going to support you throughout your career. Yes, agreed. 
<laughs> yeah. So we're about yeah. out of time and, and I'm off my soapbox now, but you, <laughs> you started me <laughs> off on that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Maybe where we can learn more about you, follow you, show, tell us about your social media work and we can leave it at that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is an area where I have to do a lot better. I haven't been doing much to promote my own work and I don't have a website, but I mean, people can find me on my school's website, of course. And, uh, my academia page was uh, up and running, but I haven't really updated that. So, you know, and I have blogs and here and there on different organizations. And I also have some publications that come up in, in, a, in a just in a Google search, of course. But, you know, ultimately, I'm really happy always to talk to folks interested in animal rights. And, I, and I've, I've talked to so many prospective students who just contact me. So just, you know, email me. And uh, in terms of social media, I again, I manage I managed until now. Um, and, you know, I'm going to still be doing the Twitter for, for a while. So um, the ASA one. Um, so, yeah, people can um, contact me. I think that that would be the best way. <laughs> well, thank you for offering for pe people to contact you. If I kind of reveal a secret here, one of the reasons I asked you and the other folks to be a part of this podcast is because the aim was to provide kind of a record for folks who are interested in doing this and they don't know where to start. And they were like me and maybe like you, like, I want to do this, but I don't know how. So I picked people that I knew who come from all different backgrounds getting, getting to this point, but also are really dedicated as well to paying it forward and helping other folks along. So please, anyone listening to this, if you've really been intrigued by Lordana's path to animal studies, I can definitely recommend they are a wonderful contact to have. So thank you very much for being with me on this thank you, lovely day. Corey. Thank you for putting this together. It's such an amazing resource. I wish I had it when I started, you know. <laughs> yeah, me too. And oh, that reminds me, before we part ways, we're also going to be, Lordana has done the newsletters for the section for a very long time and has also been doing um, interviews with other scholars. And so what we're going to do is She's going to pull them out and I'm going to post them on the website on the ASA so that there's an additional kind of backlog of um, career advice and kind of biographical profiles of folks. So that'll be a yes, resource yes. as well. And they're updated, Corey. I'm actually updated like, uh, you know, like uh, they're going to be like new. Basically, everything's up to date. These people are bringing their new information in. So, yeah, so they're not reading old interviews. They're reading updated new interviews. <laughs> That's great. Yahoo. All right. Thanks for listening to Sociology and Animals. I hope you found it helpful and informative. If you want to learn more about the sociological study of society and animals, you can check out the website of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association or my own website at coreyleevren.com. You can also check out the International Association for Vegan Sociologists, and the website for that is vegansociology.com. Feedback and suggestions can be submitted to myself at coreyren at gmail.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y dot W-R-E-N-N at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to share the series with others. The music for this podcast was provided by Ode to Sleep, a band local to where I live here in East Kent, England. Ode to Sleep explores various topics with their music, including human and animal rights, environmental issues, equality, and mental health. Their debut EP will be released in September 2020 through Is No I In Team Records. Their single featured here is called Captive Audience and is available now on all streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Dr. Corey Wren signing off. All the best. <laughs>